John O'Duncan here. About a year ago, I was having a drink with a good friend of mine who had some news. He said, John, I'm getting married. I said, great. He said, we're doing it in Europe. I said, fabulous. He said, you're invited. I said, in my mind, I'm already there. And it got me thinking, thinking about the institution of marriage and the sanctity of... <laughs> How's you going there? It got me thinking about rugby league. And more specifically, could I possibly get in some juicy progressive rugby league on my travels? Months of tense negotiations with my travelling companion and girlfriend ensued. Could we dedicate a week of our first Euro vacation together to the beautiful game of rugby league? What if an additional travelling companion joined us for that leg of the trip? And what if that additional travelling companion was a guy by the name of Big Al? Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, that guy. To cut a long story short, the green light was granted. Before long, time had done what it does so reliably and flown. And there we were in the south of France, about to embark on a week of rugby league education, which would take us to rugby league touchstones right across France and the UK, starting in Carcassonne with a visit to Puy-au-Bur and ending in Leeds to take in Headingley. In between, we visited Perpignan and the home of the Catalan Dragons and embedded ourselves with Toulouse Olympique. We found our way to London to check in on the Broncos for game day and even spent some time along the fabled M62. Of course, along the way, we met some amazing people, all of whom make up the fabric of the beautiful tapestry that is rugby league. What follows is an audio scrapbook of sorts, of the places we visited, the people we met, and the lessons we learned. I'll keep my studio self scarce over the next 90 minutes and only pop my head in if I need to. So... Let's get started, shall we? It's a progressive Rugby League podcast on the road. Yes, John O'Duncan here. Welcome to a very special edition of the Progressive Rugby League podcast. We are on the road on a Progressive Rugby League study tour of the south of France and then London. So it's a privilege to be here on the road right now as we speak, driving through the beautiful vineyards and the sunflowers of the south of France. It is quite a sight. And joining me and actually driving me is my good friend, Big Al. Good to see you, bro. Thanks, mate. I can't make eye contact with you right now because I have to be looking at the French highway that we're driving on. (laughs) Now, just quickly, what do you want from this week? We've got about five or six days where we'll be going through the south of France and then we'll be heading to London uh, to watch a London Broncos game. What do you want from this journey? Well, I've been thinking about this for a while and really the game of rugby league has a history outside of what we know in in Australia, especially in the fishbowl of Sydney. And all parts of that contribute to the game that we know and love right now and so I'd just like to know more about uh, parts of parts of the game that you don't get exposed to back home especially uh, when it comes to the story of French Rugby League. Yeah well I totally agree the story of French Rugby League is is a big part of the reason why we're we're coming down this part of the world so we're very excited to be here. Look for me Big Al it's not only about learning about the game in France and the game in London for instance I want to feel it I don't just want to learn it, I want to feel it. So this is what it's about for me. So, hey, let's see how we go, shall we? Here we are at Stade Albert Domecq with the statue of Puy-au-Bur. This is quite a moment for us. We've come all the way from Sydney to see this statue, and it's quite something. We've had our photos taken with it. 
Big Al's with me. How do you feel, sir? I feel honoured, blessed, uh, and touched that I got to touch the statue of the great man they call Pipette. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here, and I think the, the likeness of the statue, from all the stories I've, I've heard of, of the, great, the great man, in that he was incredibly relaxed, liked a good time, mm. um, and I think that's reflected in his general uh, the expression. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's smiling, he's got a ball in one hand, He's kind of stepping off his left foot. It's quite something. So great to be here. And we've had quite a day after our experience in the Shea Felix Cafe. Yes, Shea Felix, what a time. Uh, That is a museum of rugby league history for those that care to look a little deeper. That's right. I mean, people like to sit outside, but we went inside. You've got the photographs, the pipettes up there. You've got all all sorts of French greats as well. And great memorabilia from the the 1970 World Cup held in England as well. So uh, a really great day we've had here in Carcassonne. We're continuing our journey now to Perpignan. All right, Big Al and I have just wandered into Stade Gilbert Brutus. And who have we bumped into but friend of the show, Lodon Garnier. And yes, he is real. Big Al didn't believe me, even though I spoke to him last week, but he is real. Hello, Lodon. Hello, I'm still real. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful ground this is, Stade Gilbert Brutus, uh, the home of the Catalan Dragons. Of course, you made your debut here in 1988. Yeah, 1988. <laughs> but yeah, the, the crowd changed a lot. The stadium, you know, is completely, uh, completely different. And when, when I used to, to come here with my friend, I play with the under 16 of the Catalans, mm. and where we were watching a Super League game, so, oh, 30 years ago. Can you can you remember <laughs> the stadium that was completely, uh, completely different? And we're here basically to learn about French Rugby League. We not only want to learn, but we want to feel French Rugby League. And this seems like a ground where you can really feel it. You're really close to the action. Oh, yeah, yes. It's a very, very open open ground. And uh, and the, the people, they are, oh, you know, every time you've got a big a big tackle, they, they like the pass. You know, the Catalan people, they like the pass, but they like the fight. You know what I mean? So every time you've got a big hit, you can actually hear the, 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 the crowd and, and sometimes the, the bone crashing, you know, and the, the town, the, the people, the Catalan people and the supporters of the, of the Catalan Dragons, they love, they love that. And you are very close to the, to the player. And so what are you doing here in Perpignan? You now live in Brisbane, as we spoke about last time. Uh, so oh, we've got kids in the background as well, a bit of a school, school chant going on there. Now, so what are you doing here in Perpignan in July? So, first of all, holiday, because that's summer. Yeah, so just uh, maybe in the same time talking to some young French talent mm-hmm. who maybe try, wants to, to try their chance in, in Australia, like uh, Benji Garcia yeah. and Benjamin Julien did uh, in their time mm-hmm. with the William Manly Seagulls in, in Brisbane. So, mm-hmm. yeah, try to, uh, to find some, some kids who are very interested to, uh, to, play, uh, to play in Australia. Mm. So is that, is that something that you do on the side or is that part of any of your official duties, being a, a conduit between French talent and potential access to Australia? Let's say that's my hobby. Mm. <laughs> that's it. That's my hobby. <laughs> so it's, it's done for love, love and not money. Oh, you don't. You are not involved in the French rugby league for money. Mm. You need to be very, very passionate about this game and about developing kids. You, you are not, If you want money, you go to Union. You know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. You work less and you got more kids, mm-hmm. and that's easy to uh, to see the talents because there are plenty. You know, but mm. uh, yeah, if you if you work in rugby league is because, and if you stay in rugby league is because you are passionate about this game and the story of this game. I'm passionate about the story mm. of of the game in France and in the world. You know, the people game. That's it. Yeah. Well, Laurent, it's been great to see you in the flesh and thank you for all your support of the show and helping us out. And as a little token of our appreciation, we'd like to present you with a Progressive Rugby League T-shirt. Oh, awesome. I'm a Progressive Rugby League friend of the show T-shirt. So this is for you as a thank you. 
Roy, your help. Nice. I just need to lose a couple of kilos, <laughs> but that's, oh yes, I'm very happy. And yeah, I didn't want to ask you because oh, I don't want to be uh, the French typical, you know, to ask for something free and stuff like that. But yes, <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, thank so, you very much. Oh, yes. So thank oh, you thanks, very much for your time. Much. Yes. And we'll have to catch up again soon. Oh yes, please. Thank you. Thanks. Lot. Thanks a lot. We are on the road from Perpignan to Toulouse, and we are doing this because we are about to visit Toulouse Olympique, and we're going to witness a training session in the lead-up to their game against Sheffield. We've been invited along by the good people at Toulouse. Well, maybe we've invited ourselves, but we're going to see what happens. But it's exciting, and I feel a bit nervous too, because it's kind of like we've been pen pals for so long, and I've kind of fallen in love with Toulouse, and this is kind of our chance to consummate the relationship. Big Al, how are you feeling? Yeah, like you, I'm quite nervous. This is one of those relationships where we desperately need them, <laughs> and they, they really don't need us at all. They've been quite accommodating in um, letting us come along, and what I'm, what I'm quite nervous about as well is disrupting anything in terms of preparation. I don't yes. want to be a, a distracting influence in if it's a captain's run or a training session video, whatever it is that they're doing today. I just want to be able to see it without ruining it in any way, which is quite difficult for me. We're pretty nervous about the game on Saturday against Sheffield because obviously a loss will be all our fault. <laughs> so let's see what happens. We don't know what to expect, but we're going to go along and you know check it out. Well, here we are at Toulouse Olympic Training, and what a warm welcome we've received. We've got training going in the background. We've been warmly welcomed by Thomas Sacharel, the Toulouse Olympic media manager. We're going, we've been invited to lunch with the team after training, so that's going to be something. What do you think's on the menu there, Big Al? Uh, I was trying to think, what does a French rugby league team eat? Um, I'm hoping that whatever it does, it finishes with a, a large dose of red wine um, <laughs> and something sweet is what I feel like. I'm thinking snails uh, and Powerade. That would be a great combination for a French rugby league player, I think. We are speaking to Thomas Sartorel, who is the media manager of Toulouse Olympique. So, hello, Thomas. Hello, hello. Now, Thomas, as media manager at Toulouse Olympique, what's involved? A lot of things to do. So manage the website, uh, social media, uh, press release and uh, press uh, relation. Mm-hmm. So also uh, manage uh, home game. I go to England sometimes with, uh, with the team too. Mm-hmm. It's a passionate uh, job. But what's it like being part of the Toulouse Olympic family? It's a, it's a great thing because um, here the most important is uh, the project. Uh, I'm here since 2013 when the club were in uh, French camps mm-hmm. and when I, I arrived there uh, already was this uh, this project, crazy project to reach Super League mm-hmm. and all day is around this project. Mm-hmm. All we do is uh, to reach this, uh, this goal. Mm. So I wanted to ask you in your role as media manager, Toulouse is a huge rugby union city. What do you do to get cut through in the media for Toulouse Olympique? Uh, yeah, you're right. Toulouse is a, a very big uh, rugby union team, but a sport in general, city, uh, city too, because we have uh, five sports in their first division. So, yeah, Toulouse is a big city and a big sports city. And we try to to exist as a rugby league club, uh, which is pretty hard because uh, rugby league is not, has not a big space in, uh, in the press in mm. France. Yeah. 
we try to exist doing things uh, differently and we we try to to attract people who who don't know because we we trust our sport we trust our team mm. and uh, we know that we have um, a spectacular uh, game mm. we uh, it's not a game it's a show and uh, we know that uh, if uh, people just come once they will like uh, they mm, will like yeah. the, the game and uh, around that we try to so you put a lot into the the game day experience for people that come to watch we yeah. try we try to to develop the, the the game day experience because that's the only thing that we can uh, manage mm -hmm. and uh, we are not in the field and mm -hmm. uh, on the pitch and uh, we try to to separate the sport to the game day experience mm. of course if the win it's a great thing but it's the the cherry on the cake we we want that people uh, leave the stadium uh, saying uh, wow it was a, a great day it was we we had a, a great moment at Toulouse at Toulouse Olympic and we, we want to uh, come back well Thomas thanks for your time mate thank you sorry for my English it, it was, was perfect. perfect thank you <laughs> thank you all right we're very lucky to be joined by Adam Innes who is the Toulouse Olympic strength and conditioning coach welcome to the show hey guys how you doing now, Adam, tell us uh, what the, the role of a, the strength and conditioning coach is at Toulouse Olympic. Yeah, well, my, my role, it, it sort of varies a little. I'm obviously in charge of doing everything that's to do with, with the gym, the weightlifting, speed and fitness, etc. But um, I'm sort of a link also between uh, the medical staff and the technical staff, so uh, my job is to also go back and forth between the different members and um, you know picking up on guys who've got a little niggle and what mm. they can and can't do on training, you know, Today we've got a bit of a sort of a more speed orientated session, so yep. I've got to make a decision who can do what and how much of it they can do mm. and whatnot. Because Sylvan, our coach, might might want to have a sort of a lot of reps in, and mm. like we have a, we had one of our guys today, we've just got to pull him up after a few reps. So mm. my, my role is pretty much to pass the messages back and forth between the different staff members and make sure we get as many guys as we can on the pitch. And how long have you been with Toulouse Olympique and, and in France? Um, well, in France, this is my 17th year. Mm -hmm. So I came out originally as, as a player. And then I spent my last two years as a player at Toulouse. And then the last six years I've been the, the head S&C. So eight years all in all with Toulouse and, yeah, 17 in, in Finland. And what's the transition like from someone growing up in rugby league in Australia to coming to the rugby league culture in France, what's that transition like? No, it's huge. Yeah. As I've sort of grown and found out in my years over here, especially as a strength coach, the uh, the culture's very, very different. And I think the way we're brought up in Australia, especially in rugby league, is a lot different. It's so cutthroat in Australia uh, in the rugby league circles that um, I think it's it's very, very military and very robotic, mm -hmm. rugby league back home. So for every kid that, that doesn't crack it, um, you know, there's ten others waiting. So here you can't you can't talk. You got to speak differently to the to mm -hmm. the kids over here, and you got to pass a different message. Um, and especially in our side, we've got so many different cultures. I mean, you obviously got the Aussies and the and the French guys, but you've also we've got a lot of a lot of island boys. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of uh, English guys too. So the psychology and it's you know that's that's probably the toughest part. Mm -hmm. the, the, the stuff we're on the field is quite easy. It's mainly being able to get the best out of all the guys from you know, different cultures and upbringings. We've got a couple of French guys but with African sort of backgrounds so they've got a whole different uh, mindset as well mm -hmm. so it's quite challenging but it's, it's also challenging in a good sense too. Mm. So you mentioned the, the different cultures within the team strictly speaking even on a, on a language uh, basis there'd be huge gaps in one 
just the communication in general, but also how to communicate certain things. Yeah. How, as someone in a, a leadership and coaching role, how do you handle that? What, what, do you have certain strategies you employ, or is it just a matter of knowing how to say the same thing three different times? Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it is tough, and it is a bit longer than sort of if you were back in Australia because you've got to translate. Well, we don't have to translate anything. I know certain clubs that'll just speak French and French only, mm. and it's up to the to the imports to sort of pick up on it. We tend to translate always in French first because we're in France, you know, we want to get that across first, and we want the English-speaking people to, to pick up on the language, but we also translate everything because, I mean, if you want to get the best out of everything and not spend half an hour repeating the same exercise, you want to make sure they understand and know what you want out of it, you know, but most of our guys, you know, most of our guys speak English, mm. our French-speaking guys, so... It is a good thing because you can sort of, you know, you can say something in English and they'll pick up on it, but we want our English-speaking people to pick up on the culture, not just the language, but the culture. Mm. We try and not separate the guys. We try and mix groups, so we don't want all the Aussie guys hanging out with each other or the, you know, the Kiwi boys and et cetera, et cetera. We want, we want, we want mixed groups and we want, we want to instill a, a French culture. Not a French culture, but a Toulouse Olympic culture. Mm. You know, we're not really into... You know, what's this team that doing? What, what's another side doing? We're, we're trying to pick and choose different different things we pick up along the way. You know, Sylvan is French, but he spent, you know, 10 odd years or something in, in England. Um, I'm Australian, obviously, and I spent 17 years in France. And mm. we're trying to pick and choose from different people and different coaches and really build our own, our own brand and what we're trying to bring and, um, and instill into the boys. Adam, can you give us a, an insight into just what the challenge is for rugby league to make inroads in a city like Toulouse so competitive uh, with uh, obviously a massive rugby union team but also other sports as well. Yeah well obviously I mean we're realistic soccer is just we're a lot years mm. away from making inroads there it's such a big sport here mm. and in Europe in general but mm. um, the big challenge is rugby union the mentality there's a, there's a bit of a war that's been dated back you know 60, 70 odd years of course, yeah. we're familiar yeah, <laughs> that they won't let go on either side yeah. and it's the, the problem is money obviously wherever you go money's a big big factor especially over here because start to lose them it's such a stranglehold mm. on the rugby union down this end that we produce to be fair we produce a lot of talent mm. but then without having to do anything they just have to come in and throw a few dollars around yeah. right. and they so mate, we've got we've had a lot of kids come through our system we can't bring them through because eventually they're just going to end up going to rugby because the state come in um, and just go, hey, we'll pay for all your board, all your school, you know, we'll get you a car, we'll get you this, that and the other. And, you know, it's very hard to compete because we could do it, mm. but we're, we're playing the long game. Yeah, we're trying to be sustainable and we've got a, even in regards to the championship, we've got a very small budget. So we're trying to make do what we have. What has changed is, one is our relationship with Stud to losing. They've start, They've changed our staff over the last few years, and we're a great relationship with them. Now we actually mm. do a lot of work with them, mm. and they they ask a lot of our our advice on a lot of different you know strategies, speed, tactical, whatever. Um, and they're trying not to sort of grab all our young kids now. Mm. And with the culture we have, I mean, we get a lot of people actually coming to us now, seeing how we work, and mm. and our kids are starting to stay now. Um, we're lucky with our our recruitment, and Sylvan's very good with that. Uh, we haven't got a lot of stars here, but you know we've, we've, we're recruiting in a lot, a lot to do with um, the culture trying still. So we're at the likes of John O'Ford, Paddy Vivai, mm. uh, James Bell, and these kids are starting to stay now because they love working with mm. these guys mm. and they're starting to learn a lot. So mm. 
it's, it's changing little by little, but you know, to say that we're in competition, I think, is a bit, mm. a bit rich. We're still a long way away. Over at Perpignan, it's a bit different. Mm-hmm. They probably got the upper hand on the rugby over there mm-hmm. um, with what they've done lately, which has been fantastic mm. for the French rugby league. Mm. But we're still, a, still a, a way away yet. Well, Adam Innes, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming past. We're lucky enough to be joined right now by Cedric Garcia, CEO of Toulouse Olympique. Hello, Cedric. Hi, John. It's great to meet you. Thank you for having us. Now, we've heard a lot from others here at Toulouse Olympique. It's a beautiful family here. Uh, talking about the project, the Toulouse Olympique project. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, the club has been working now for, for a while uh, on, on the project. I would say it's a two-head project with one part which is obviously Super League, like like uh, everybody knows, we didn't hide, and particularly that on the field we want to earn uh, promotion. And the second part, which is closely linked, it is a stadium to have uh, uh, really uh, uh, great facilities to, to develop, because the stadium is a, is a great tool to, to develop in terms of sponsorships, of, of fan base, of mm. attendances, of all this. And I believe we've never been so close to, to, to reaching those goals. Mm. Super League, well, it be on the field, but uh, I, I think and I really hope so that we'll be in the, in the playoffs and when you're in the playoffs, everything is possible, mm. like London showed last year. Mm. And in the stadium, we are on the verge of signing uh, uh, an agreement for between five to ten years with Stade Toulousain, Rugby mm. Union Ground, yeah. which is a uh, a 20,000 seater with all uh, the facilities you need for, for a professional club to develop and this is whether we'll be in championship or in Super League next mm. year it, it doesn't change anything I've visited the stadium to, with, with Robert Elston when, when he came down mm. Super League CEO and he was very impressed with, uh, with the facilities and, and yeah it's Statulzen, I think, is considered one of the best rugby union clubs in Europe. Mm. So, so we're really looking forward to reaching those goals. And, and you had a good six thousand people there earlier in the year when you played against the Wolfpack, isn't that right? Exactly. Well, and plus it was a game we, we, we organized really in, in three weeks, and and we already had in mind to move to to this stadium, mm. and it was like a test with with really good opposition, and 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 to get six thousand in, in in such short time mm. to organize without away fans or really little mm. away fans, I think I think it's really good, and it shows the potential that we can reach. Uh, in championship and even more in, in Super League and plus the good thing is that we due to the relationship we have with the, the rugby union Stade Toulouse we attracted some of the season ticket holders mm. also so new crowd new uh, new ground and, and I would say new, new opportunities so so yeah really good. Can, can you tell us about that relationship with Stade Toulouse because Obviously, rugby union, rugby league in France have a difficult relationship, but it sounds like you guys have made a real effort to have a good relationship with that club. I would say, if you go to and look at the history of both clubs, yeah, uh, there have been some some difficult times, but I mean, I think we need to move forward, and those days are are past now. Mm-hmm. And now, I think it's more down to to people mm-hmm. and. Uh, it starts from the chairman, and the chairman get along really well. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's, we are two different sports, and I don't see well any reason why we should uh, fight against union, and and there's no sense, and and we would lose anyway, yeah. at least in France. Mm-hmm. So it's totally stupid. I I think it's better to work together, especially with the two season being one winter season, one of more summer season. So I think. We can have an offer for for every sports fan all year long, 
mm. so which which is great. And uh, as I said, it com- it starts from the chairman who, who get along well, and the administration we also have good relationship. And and on the sports side, the, the stade Toulousain staff asked our team to to go there and they did a common training mm. and for once usually in France we say oh we're going to have a look at the defense of rugby league mm-hmm. when you are at Union but they asked for us to, to show them attack is that right? uh, and, wow. and yeah exactly and to see to, they wanted to learn our shapes etc so which is, which, is, which is great I think they're very open minded it's a young coaching staff like our one mm-hmm. and they, it was really also good to, to, to see them uh, mix like this and have some, some kind of, of partnership because I think if we want our new ground to be a success we need that at every level it, it clicks mm-hmm. and to see that that they, they spoke together and I'm pretty sure uh, us as a club and as a team we've got many things to learn from them mm-hmm. because it's a big machine uh, I think the turnover is around 35 million euro wow. so it's huge and uh, and so I think I think it can be a win-win uh, mm-hmm. partnership You just spoke then on, on their turnover and their revenue of 35 million euros what does it take to keep a without going into specific numbers what does it take to keep a, a club like Toulouse Olympique afloat and to stay operational and to stay funded? Well I can give some figures right now. Our turnover is three million euros, mm-hmm. which uh, and from those three million euros, we have one point five million in term in sponsorship. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is yeah. which is I think uh, it's it's today it's our main revenue stream and also main asset. We're working really hard on on, on the sponsorship. We have three hundred sponsors and and we have a huge business network in Toulouse, mm-hmm. which is considered as the biggest network uh, in Toulouse mm. in front of uh, of even uh, Union Soccer etc so really? this is what attracts some sponsors because league in France is not that attractive for now and mm-hmm. it's what we're working on and so to, to answer to your question yeah right now we're really working on the sponsors because Toulouse is the fourth largest city in France it's very dynamic economically and we believe that we can attract even more sponsors and the second thing which will come with this new stadium and I, I really think we can improve a lot on uh, match day revenues with of course ticketing but also all the merchandising and, and the bars uh, at the game where we, mm. we are we have a lot of room for improvement uh, mm. on this on this on this field okay. can we go back and talk about the the project again specifically the super league side of it so when this adventure was started the road to super league looked very different to the way it does now mm. so there's two big things that happened since that there's the toronto wolfpack and the changes to the super eights can you tell us if these changes have changed the way you operate or the way you think about about that path or if it's just business as usual for you? Well, if, if I start by the, the change of format of the Super 8, some said that it was easier to get promoted before. I'm not sure about that because when you look at the three years of the Super 8 format, first year, no club went up. Mm. Second year and third year, only one club went up. And you had to play against Super League teams, which mm. are financially and on the sports side stronger. So I'm not sure the path is tougher with the new format. Okay, only one team go up, but it's it's an automatic promotion and you compete only against championship team. Mm. About Toronto... Well, Toronto are a strong team, like some others are strong too, and for sure they have great players, and, and, and I think it must be a, 
a full salary cap team. But when you when you say that, I'm sure we'll, we'll, there'll be some surprise in the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, like there was last year. Playoff, it's only one one game at a time, mm-hmm. and uh, on one game everything is possible. We see it in the comp. Uh, almost everybody can beat everybody. So I think we we're not focusing on 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 what's happening around. We know the path to go to Super League. And we're just trying our best to get this ticket to get promoted. Mm. Okay, Cedric Garcia, thank you so much for your time. We know you're very busy, so I appreciate you taking the time to speak to our podcast. Thank you, guys. It was a really, really, really real pleasure to have you here. And hopefully you'll be our lucky champs for Saturday at the game. Eh? <laughs> yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> All right, Jono Ford and Mark Carella, two key members of the Toulouse Olympic team, and just had a training session in preparation for the game against Sheffield on Saturday. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, nice to be Yeah, it's a pleasure. Look, the first question I have is, obviously, as uh, brought up in rugby league culture in Australia, what's the transition been like, transitioning all those years ago from rugby league in New South Wales to rugby league in France? Mark? Uh, I was pretty lucky. I had Jono already laid the foundation, so when I came over here, it was very similar to how I was playing back home, and yeah, I just I found it very easy to fit straight into the team. Yep. And Jono? Uh, for me, I came over, I was here with um, Lonnie Vunikethi, uh, Nathan Ross and Guy Williams used to play at the Broncos, so they're probably a few players that a few people might know. Um, there's a couple more blokes, but we all sort of turned up at the same time with no expectation, no idea what was going to happen. Yeah, just rocked up pretty much. Cedric, uh, the um, CEO, picked me up from the airport and <laughs> I had no idea who anyone was or what was going to happen, so it was pretty just the blindly and the blind. We were just all here having a good time and then, yeah, sort of found my way and then I helped Killer when he came over and then, yeah, but yeah, it was good, good fun. And what's the, the vibe like in French rugby league around Toulouse? What, what, what are the fans like and how does that compare? That sort of, I suppose, it's less intense than it would be in, in New South Wales, I suppose? Uh, yeah, it's... From when I first came to now, it's progressing quite rapidly, right. I think, and because um, obviously we keep, we're going up in levels mm-hmm. and stuff and fighting for that Super League spot. Obviously, we've got a lot to contend with. I mean, we've got Stud Toulouse and, mm-hmm. and TFC, but the supporters we have, very passionate, and they love coming out and they love us boys, so mm-hmm. it's been really good. So uh, if you speak to anybody around the Toulouse Olympic uh, grounds, everyone talks about you guys, whether you like it or not, as the heart and soul of the team. And I think a lot of that points back to you need to, you, you've obviously built a culture here that people want to be a part of. Has that just been through sheer uh, force of your personalities or have you actually sat down and thought we want to, we want to build something here and, and have something that people can buy into? Oh, I think sort of as a bit of our personality. We just misfits sort of just sort of fell out of a contract and something popped up and we ended up here and then uh, we ended up just having a crack over here and loving it and then seeing that we could probably make a difference within rugby league in a, in a whole country mm. not just we we're from New, I'm from Newcastle he's from Sydney mm. but we've then after that probably as the years have gone by we've sat down and we've said look we can really make a difference within rugby league and mm. that's probably one of the main reasons I've stayed is because I've got more than just playing footy like mm. I can see that I can make a difference in rugby league mm. in general in France which is good it's not just I'm not just getting a paycheck I'm I've got I've got more than just money. Mm. It's like there's something behind it. There's because you know. you've both had the chance to leave for bigger contracts and haven't you at various times? Yeah, yeah. We both, you know, had different, you know, people pe- approaching us and and whatnot. But for me, I just like we've sat down and we've got a good coaching staff who believe in us and we believe in them. Mm. And like I said, it was just 
yeah, we sat down and we, we didn't even really say I'm I'm going to stay if you stay or anything. Yeah. It's just it's just happened that way, and a lot yeah. of people just love to be here. And it's what it's exactly why we keep staying. I mean, we we're given a, a lot of freedom here to mm. to be able to have our input in the team mm. and and to build that culture. And you know, we found that that through our previous experiences, you know, we just added little things here and there and slowly progressing. And mm. like over here as well, we have the like one of the biggest positives is we're all together mm-hmm. all the time like we you don't we don't have our mates that we grew up with in mm. school and stuff you know so it's just it's just us boys and year by year we just keep seeing to be growing this family and mm. and the club like for said the coaching staff and administration stuff gives us that opportunity mm. to sort of put that to, put that forward and, and how important is the style of play that Toulouse Olympic play because obviously it's a unique style most teams these days play the same kind of brand of rugby league you guys obviously play a bit more attacking brand of football. How important is that for you guys? For me, it's really important, obviously, being a half. It's mm. it's good fun looking up and seeing, you know, where you can exploit different spaces on the field and, mm. you know, seeing who's in front of you and whatnot and not just going, we're going to take five hit-ups across the field and kick to a corner. Like, mm. it's it's good fun for me to have a look around and see what well, what can we do differently to exploit that space differently yeah. and to exploit this person or make the, my outside men better. You know, we all play, mm. like, so, you know, whoever we're playing with, we we adapt to their different styles and try to make it work best for everyone. And I feel like it's just a lot more fun to play, Mark. Oh, I'm an attacker, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, me at fullback there, I, I, you know, the, the scoring tries and kicking yeah. goals, that's right up my alley. So, yeah. yeah, I find the style of play really really comforting and really exciting. And like I said before, I fit right into yeah. it. <laughs> fantastic. All right, well, you guys have got to head off, but thanks so yes. much for your time. What One more question. We've got 48 hours in Toulouse. What's your recommendation? Go get a cinnamon roll from Canopy Coffee Shop. That's a good coffee shop. Good call. Um, probably just actually Sunset on the Garon. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good at the moment. Now that you've got the um, Ferris wheel there. Yeah. Get a nice bottle of red. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Tips from the locals. Thanks, Jono Ford. Thanks, Mark Carella. Thanks so much. Great, thank you. Have okay, that, that were the interviews we recorded at Toulouse Olympic training in preparation for their game against Sheffield. What did you make of it, Big Al? Uh, I loved it, and I think one thing that really shone through, to quote a page out of the book of Slug, it's the vibe. Like, the vibe of the place, it, it, it comes through in the way the, the everybody speaks, the way the staff speak, the way the players and the admins the staff all talk about what they're doing. Project itself, uh, the fact that it's called a project, but also that secondary to that is having fun. Mm. And that's I think that's the reason why we love this team so much from what we what we've seen uh, both on TV and on, on YouTube highlights is that, that what it, that's what it's all about and that's probably maybe that's what rugby league is missing sometimes yeah. uh, especially in you know what we, we all talk about the Sydney Fishbowl um, and Toulouse have got it in spades and uh, I loved every minute of it and in great news we've somehow invited ourselves to the farm of coach Sylvan Hula so really looking forward to that so we'll see how that goes alright so we're on our way to the farm of the coach Sylvan of Toulouse Olympic and one of the great things about travelling around this part of the world is driving through the south of France so you've got you know sunflower farms you've got vineyards you're going through little villages tree lined streets it really is something and I, I tell you if I give one piece of advice for anyone thinking of making the journey it's sticking off the highway wouldn't you agree Big? Uh, I, I definitely would. However, be prepared for incredibly small streets and vehicles that seem way too big to fit down them, but somehow uh, snaking their way through. But it's a wonderful part of the world. Small, sleepy towns, uh, vineyards, sunflower country, sleepy rivers, good stuff. Plenty of photo opportunities. All right, 
let's make our way to the farm. All right, we're very lucky to be on Sylvan's sheep farm here. This is uh, in the, what, what would you call this part of the, sh- the farm, Sylvan? In French, we call it a bergerie, you okay. know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like every, where we stock everything, you know, for the winter. Mm. Uh, I call the, the, the food and just next to the sheep sheds where, like, you know, they, they spend all their, most of their time there, you know, yeah. and especially winter and where they give birth or where they lamb, you know, and uh, yeah. when we look after them to make sure they give us good milk. And what kind of operation is this? How big is this sheep farm? There's a few hundred sheep you got here? Yeah, there's about 300, you know, 300 sheep. So um, it's not that big you know mm. for this, this we got friends next door or neighbors with 500 600 yeah. you know so it's like an average like sheep farm yeah. you know but it's enough for us <laughs> and how do you juggle the sheep farming with being a, a rugby league coach for a professional rugby league team in the south of france well i've got a good brother <laughs> you know yeah. No, it's, yeah it's, it's just organization it's like, yeah. like everything you know it's just we shared a walk with my brother, and my, he does a lot more than mm. me, you know, but I just try to help him with the, the morning milk and the yeah. evening when I can, on my days off, and mm. on big, big walks at the farm, I'm mm. there, you know, and especially on lambing, and that's why we are now off-season, so yeah. and it's just about, like, we organize our time in between the season and, uh, and now, and, and juggle it, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's about a lot of organization. And are there any similarities between coaching a rugby league team and being a sheep farmer? <laughs> I've been asked that before. <laughs> right. Again, I've, I'll say it's logistically, you know, and that organisation yep. world, I'll use it again, you know, it's, you know, we make it like now the 12th season we're doing with the sheep and, you know, compared to that first season, mm. we, we evolve, you know, and it's the same with coaching, you know, like yeah. after six years of coaching, you know, we evolve and we get better organised yeah. and knowing what we're doing and uh, like more experience, you know, and yeah. so like, the similarity will be there, but after that, no, I can't yell and, and, uh, and kick the, she- <laughs> the players, I will do it with the sheep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the sheep know when you've had a loss. Yeah, exactly. Sylvain, thanks for having us at your lovely home here in the south of France. Where exactly are we? In Rumegus. In Rumegus. Wonderful. <laughs> not bad? Yeah, not bad. It's just the Rumegus. Rumegus. Thank you. <laughs> so yesterday we were lucky enough to witness a training session for Toulouse Olympique, and it was great to watch you take command of the session. You're giving training instructions in French and English. I'm interested in your coaching philosophy and how you bring people from wildly different rugby league cultures together. Yeah, it's a tough one, you know. And it has been something that's been part from the beginning, you know, where obviously this year it's a little bit different because we quite have half of foreigners players and are French and years before we were like a little bit more three-quarter French and quarter of foreigners. So it's, it's a tough challenge and it's but something I'm really, really attached to. Mm. You know, it's probably, for me, it's, it's the most important thing. You know, there's a footy, there's a technical, there's a tactical, but I know what will take us there to Super League where we want to be mm. is will be like a link between us you know mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of things you know like just for me my main job is keeping an eye on all them things you know it's not going to come naturally to everyone to go and see and speak to everyone especially because mm. of the French and the English but everyone has to make their efforts you know mm. like you cannot stay with just the, the people you're comfortable with you know mm. obviously we're going away together like we spend every two weekends together mm. you know three days all the time so we just make sure like they're uh, they like go see everyone they, yeah. you know like it's a big thing for us say hello to everyone mm-hmm. you know in the morning like and after that games mm-hmm. create like you know great link for fun. us you know like fun games mm-hmm. you know exactly we need to keep going because we've done that at the beginning and I was really big 
you know, the first year I took coaching, we weren't a full time and we were having a meal once a week mm. with the players. I literally like was sitting them up. I would like put their names on where they were, where I want them to be seated. You know, like um, to make sure to create them connection. Yeah. I was like. Uh, like speed dating sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit, you know. And I was, I, I had all groups, you know, like yeah. foreigners, old, new, like group that I could see, and I was just picking one of each and yeah. sitting them together, you know, like you know, like the, in front of each other. Mm-hmm. And if there's conflicts, I even put them together even more. Yeah, really. You know, like if I see that there's two guys who doesn't get on or there's conflicts, I emphasize on even more than mm-hmm. than they attach. Yeah. <laughs> so just like that, because I'm. A, I'm a big believer that we will do it together, you know, yeah. and, and, and with them linked. So it is important to me. Mm. It's not easy. It's not mm. easy every day. And it's, I'm not asking them to be best friends with everyone, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just we need to work together. So yeah. I, I'm a big believer that if you want them to do their efforts for each other on the field, they need to have like the good way connection on the outside. Sure. So during the training session that we watched, you were you were basically doing the training with the players. You were in the back line, you're in the defensive line, the attack line. Is that something that you've, is that a coaching style that you've developed that you've found works best, or is that something you've done out of necessity for uh, those communication barriers with the team? Yesterday was a little bit of a, an exceptional, you know, because I like to have sessions sudden on sudden. It's important the way we play. Mm-hmm. We need to read, you know, we're big on reading what's happening in the defense, when they make mistakes, how and what we're looking in, you know, so it's important to be in certain settings, that's why I was a little bit part of that, mm. you know, but it's also, I find it very interesting, even if I'm not there in a the team, I'm like all the time behind there and listening and what they do, you know, the connection and the communication, obviously, like the, giving the information and the quality of the information is a big thing, mm-hmm. so, you know, and that's why... You know, going back to the first question like, earlier, what we're talking, sometimes we find it out, like, you know, we've got one player who speak English and doesn't speak French, mm. you know, and the other French, like, you know, the half or maybe Stan will say something to him, like, early, mm. but that player will understand the early ball to him, but the yeah. back was early to, to the, the other players, you know, so he created that, and that's why I need to be there, like, to why they didn't get it, what they didn't mm. understand, make sure, like, you know, mm. like, they get the, the, the language, the same communication to yeah. be on the same page, so... Uh, he is, but after that, normally I prefer to be like proper players because okay. they're faster and better than me. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking in good shape. Now, Sylvain, you're obviously uh, a student of the game and you're, you're friends with Mike Rance, who we're, we're catching up with shortly. I'm interested to know how important your team's style of play is to you. So obviously there are those famous French teams from the 50s who came to Australia and succeeded with this amazing style of play, which changed the game and really wowed everyone and was really exciting. It's real French flair. And obviously Toulouse Olympique play a really attacking brand of football. Is that, do you do that on purpose? Do you, are you interested in keeping the French style alive? Yeah, the French style, I mean, it comes from a little bit deeper than that. It's mm. like, so I, I was a player at Toulouse. And uh, before that, so when I was playing, we had a style where I wasn't, like as a player, I didn't understand what we were doing. I didn't know what we were doing. It was all about completion. It was all about keeping the ball. And we were like, as a player inside, like that. Oh my God, it was <laughs> like boring. Hard. And we were like, we were not happy. Yeah. So when I took over, I just want to make sure like our guys were happy, you know, mm-hmm. to play footy and they were on that field and enjoying it. And it's just like then you know, have conversation with them and what make them happy, you know, mm-hmm. and. It, and because obviously I knew as a player too what was making me happy, but mm-hmm. it wasn't maybe the same for them. But she was just like having fun and scoring great tries, you mm-hmm. know. So we went on to that. Like our first philosophy was 
I want our team to, from first tackle to five, fifth tackle, from zero meter to 100 meters, be able to score tries. Yeah. That was our, our philosophy. So you see something, you recognize something, you go, you go and you go full on and you, you recognize it. And so from then, we have to work hard on our skills. Mm. You know, and we went there, like the first couple of years, and, and we still are, but we just like catch and pass, you know, mm-hmm. like the way we catch the ball. I went to Warrington just to study pass, you mm-hmm. know, like I went asked Tony Smith to, if I could come there, like just to, whenever Tony was the coach over there, I really liked the way that they were passing the ball. Mm-hmm. So I just asked, I knew the, the assistant coach there, I said, can I come for mm-hmm. one week? And I went then. Yeah, really. They teach me kebabs, yeah. you know, and I came back and the boy, yeah, I think if you ask the boys, like, we just like, cool him, you're using that tumble pass like <laughs> every minute, you know, and I, well, I just, we went there like for two months, practice, practice, pass, you know, and prove our skills because they were important to the lab and after that, what we're looking, you know, like what, what we're going to look into the defense to mm. create them opportunity and try them and go full on and be 100% mm. happy with that. So I hardly talk about completion to the players. Oh, wow. <laughs> How refreshing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they don't know why. I don't even, I can tell you what yeah. we complete. Like, and what is it completing anyway? You know, like you go fifth tackle, like, you know, until the kick that's completing. You know? yeah. I would go with like fifth tackle, we took the option and we dropped the ball and, and inside the 10 meters, I'd be happy yeah. with the results, you know, so, and you can't uh, complete or not, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah. so. That's music uh, to our ears. I mean, I don't, you probably don't know this, but pillar number one of progressive rugby league is throw the ball around, entertain us. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly what you guys are doing. What is a completion rate? What is complete? Sounds like the beginning of a reflection for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. So we've been meeting people all throughout French Rugby League these last couple of days, from fans to players, administrators, and one common denominator, one word that everybody's always using is passion. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about what that French Rugby League passion is? I would think it come from far, you know, and deep, and like about 50 years ago, you know, when French Rugby League, you know, like... We are survivors, you know, we are a minority of people in France who, like, just love the game. And it has been passed through generation to generation. You know, like, I, got, I got that passion from my dad. I'll say every, almost everyone, you know, he's been in the vein and in the family. And because of the war he has been, you know, the Vichy things, government, mm. you know, and uh, it's just like we, we want to stick by it. You know, we want to make him live, we want to make it survive, we want to make it improve, and we want to take it to another level. So that's why I think we, we are passionate. You have mm. to be, because otherwise, look at it in a big picture, you're like, oh, it can be scary sometimes, mm. you know. So I think, yeah, we just keep going because... With the result of like conflict, and, and it has been passed through uh, from generation to generation, and that's why we got a, a thick skins, and we love like, and we love like, we love the game, and and you know, and I mean, and you talk to everyone in France, they know everything about rugby league. Now, Sylvain, you're obviously your team is in the middle of a monumental battle in the championship to get promotion to Super League. What do you have to do? to get past teams like Toronto Wolfpack and get promoted this year. Do you think you have a, a reasonable shot? Uh, we do. We've never been as close. Each year we have, we have been building up to that, to, the, to this year, I'd say. Last year we probably were two games away. Mm-hmm. The year before, so we missed the top four, and but we finished fifth and we won the championship shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year we're going to be like, we will be there. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I've got all the confidence you know, in, in us, in our team, and, and what we're doing. It's just now... We learned a lot last year mm-hmm. as a, in terms of just the footy. It's about like we needed to fix our defence. Mm-hmm. We had a huge improvement to do there and that's what we've done. Trent Robinson came this December mm-hmm. 
and I went I said can you call me and we spent like two two hours on that exactly same spot there and yeah. you guys are and we just went like talk about defense a little bit like mm-hmm. just teach me you know like, I want to need a lot more things you know in terms of uh, defense you know and which we brought you know mm-hmm. into our team and then uh, the players bought it straight away you know I mean because I'm not a big fan of like taking ideas and bringing it straight away but mm-hmm. if it makes sense to me and I've got it and I, and I know it's going to take us to the world mm-hmm. I just I can the players knew that so mm-hmm. we went big on our defense which we spent maybe half of our time you mm. know like in the preseason like doing just defense yeah. defense and not just tackling you know like in terms of structure and what we're looking for and the result has been there mm-hmm. you know like we never in my 60s as a coach we never kept him to zero mm. we've done it as the first time we've done it you mm. know like so this is so far this season so they're good results you yeah. know like but now we need to balance it right with our attack mm-hmm. because playoff time I'm a big believer that it's going to come down to defense you mm-hmm. know like in the same time yeah. like Big good championship and our best defensive team all day, yeah. every time when it's all like we're gonna need and especially even more the way we play mm. we don't complete you know we're not looking at completion but we make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. like we're playing a lot we're trying a lot so mm-hmm. unfortunately you need good defense sometimes and, and our philosophy now is we have accept that mm-hmm. we talk about analyzing the risk mm-hmm. you know when to throw the ball and not but after that, we talk about we will defend them. We yep. need to be able to defend them, them, them mistakes. So and that's mm-hmm. why we can rely on our defense now. Well, uh, you mentioned Trent Robertson there. I'm interested in your relationship with Trent. We know that obviously he brought the Roosters here before the World Club Challenge. What are his thoughts on French rugby league? He's obviously quite passionate about the rugby league in this country and growing it. Well, he loves it. You know, I mean, he's uh, he, like, you know he probably will tell you that he's in that position because of mm-hmm. French rugby league. You know, because mm-hmm. if it's like. Him coming to France may, like made him, and, uh, mm-hmm. and what's uh, the opportunity that after that like fall on the path from him, you know? So, uh, and obviously coaching the Catalan, you know, took him to another level and, mm-hmm. and gave him after the opportunity to go to the Roosters. So he is uh, like, a, and he's the same. He's a passionate guy, he's about footy, and, and you know, and having that link, you know, also with now uh, his wife and coming back here, and he's like, he's always a big link, you know, and mm-hmm. for with Toulouse, and he's, he has, and he had a very big influence on the game of A, you mm-hmm. know, when. Uh, on, when he came to, to the Catalan Dragons and coached them so he, he left like some good legacy there for the mm. French Rugby League and I think I heard him once and why not he will coach the French team you know mm. so uh, he's, he, he has big influence and I think he wants to have like he will be involved even more you know I think mm. one day maybe um, Moving from Toulouse to look at French Rugby League from an, a national level we speak about in the 50s France was you'd call them a tier one nation along with Great Britain uh, New Zealand and Australia now they're probably three maybe four what do you think uh, is required to start building France back up to build up those um, those levels on a national? Um, a lot of things, you know. I think any starting from a juniors, a championship, you know, we need to create athletes. There's a numbers of players who are playing. You know, it's not huge, but there's still some, and we need to look after them. Giving them proper program, proper off season, you know, with like three, four months of of preseason, you know, to create athletes. At the moment, we don't have good athletes, and it's a shame because the players and because of the coaching coaches that we have in France, they know what they're talking about uh, in terms of structure, of like tactic, technical stuff, you know, and so they, they are coaching the right way. It's just like on the athletic part, you know. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, you look at all the. Super League and RL is just the pure athlete, the mm-hmm. athlete, and then after that they're the footy, footy players, you know. Mm-hmm. So and uh, we've got the opposite. So we need put them into like proper training, creating the environment that they need, you know, and keep the high standards, and and they need to deal with their off 
footy life also, you know, like mm. players that don't, you know, serious enough outside, you know, yeah. outside of the footy. So that's already the, the, the first step. And because if you were, do, if we were doing that, you probably would involve the level of the championship of the juniors of the of our seniors, like uh, first grade, you know, uh, championship in France, uh, which will probably will help us to feed our team in Toulouse in a championship mm. slash like in a Super League you know and the Catalan Dragons but at the moment like it'd be fair to say that we are be struggling to recruit any players you know from the, 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 the French championships which is like a worrying sign you know mm. so we need that because we, we need to create we need to develop French players and to improve after that the, 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 the French team as at the end of the day then we need to have a lot like a pool of 50 players who play mm. at the highest level to have like a good French team you know like it has been done with England now mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of players in NRL or yeah. New Zealand Fiji I mean mm. all them nation yeah. and, and, and it comes, it's going to come down to that so and we're far from that mm. D- Development wise is there any link between the French team and the French system and the English team or English system or even the NRL clubs no no nothing. not at all Sylvain I'm interested to know how you became the person that you are. I mean, you mentioned before your father was, he brought you into rugby league, but who was your idol growing up in rugby league and, and what made you want to become a player who ended up in the Super League and now coach? I don't think there's one, you know, but yeah, I mean, my dad as well, he gave me all the, the, the his, his passion for the game and, and even in life, you know, like he's a farmer and I'm a farmer, you know, so I've been following his footsteps like, on all of that. But in terms of that, after that, like, you know, like I've been always interested in uh, English, you know, and the likes of for me was like Andy Farrell, you know, there was that was the players I wanted to be, you know, he was like my hero. So, but after that in Australia, I loved watching Andrew Jones, Darren Lockyer, you know, them players, and this. They're like skillful players all the time and smart, you know. So they're the like they're the players that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. But in the same times, I could love also Gordon Tallis as much as yeah. I was there. You know, they're like the tough, like and players who are doing those the tough job and the aggressiveness. You know, so it's a little bit of a mix of that. You know, that mm-hmm. I really uh, give me that passion. You know, like. And Adrian Morley was another one of them. You know, I just couldn't wait kick off watching Adrian Morley like running or like tackling straight away <laughs> yeah. some like big Aussie, you know, and been sent off. <laughs> you know, so yeah, just all them aspects of skillful, smart, but also like tough and aggressive. Mm. We're on your sheep farm. We've <laughs> spoken about uh, these sheep. They're milked and that's turned into cheese. It's Roquefort cheese. Yeah. Do you sell that as Toulouse Olympic branded? <laughs> yes. Roquefort cheese? And if you do, where can I get some? No, it's like, you know, we're selling it. It's a bigger cooperative, you know. It's, they're buying 60 millions of litres of milk, you know. You know so they, I don't think they don't even know that they got a sheep farmer who's, like, who's a coach of Toulouse Olympic, you know, in their, in their cooperative. You know? Well, you, know, you could sell it at the game. You could have like a little stall behind the goal line. <laughs> Sylvan, you've welcomed us into your club, you've welcomed us into have lunch and you've welcomed us at your home and your farm. Thank you so much for having us here all the way from Australia. We've had the greatest day, so it's been a privilege to meet you. Man, listen, you know, I, I'm so happy and, and, and glad to hear that, you know, we've got fans uh, from all across the world, you know, in, in Australia, you know, like, so it's been a pleasure to, to having you, you know, to welcome you here and, uh, and uh, anytime, you know, and we'll see you, like, you know, you can be a... Uh, um, marketing or communication oh, yeah. like when we've been super league over there like make sure yes. like, uh, well be careful what you say because we will be back <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no problem. thank you very much Sylvan yeah, no problem. what a great trip to the farm of Sylvan and yeah we hit the road a lot in those few days going up and back between Perpignan and Toulouse and what we did yeah we listened to music but sometimes 
Spotify just didn't help us out, so Big Al just did the business for us. Get out when he can. Did his time in Vietnam. Still mad at Uncle Sam. He's a simple man with a heart of gold. The legend of his time. Whoa. He's a working class man. That's it. There's plenty more. <laughs> I think you're going for it. That's all you're going to get. Okay, it's game day here in Blunyuk. It's Toulouse versus Sheffield. And who have I bumped into but Mr. Catalan Media, Steve Brady. Hello, Steve. Bonjour, bonjour. How are you? Very well, thanks. Well, now, you are Mr. Catalan Rugby League. Now, what are you doing here in Toulouse? Well, I'm just Mr. Rugby League, really. I like <laughs> any rugby league, whether it's back home in Wigan or over here in France. Obviously, Catalan Dragons are playing away tomorrow, so we're, we're at a loose end. Fancy coming down to Toulouse and just... Have a look around, meet a few people. It's a beautiful place and mm. looking forward to a good uh, game of rugby league. Now, a lot of people would know you as Catalan Media uh, on the Twitter sphere. So what are you actually doing here in the south of France? What brought you here? I mean, uh, we've been coming here for 30 years uh, just as a tourist, really. My parents uh, came over here 40 years ago, bought a place, and then we just fell in love with it. We always loved France and travelling to France. And when Catalan Dragons came about, we thought what a perfect opportunity to maybe up sticks, move out here combine our love of France with our love of rugby league mm-hmm. and we put the two things together and we couldn't be happier. Fantastic. And, and what is Catalan Media? It's, it's a, a media organisation that provides English-speaking press, whether that be in Australia or Canada or England, yeah. with information and news and features about Catalan Dragons, about rugby league over here, but about other things as well. The growth of the wine regions in Languedoc-Roussillon, all those different things were involved with promoting the region and helping people discover what is it's quite a hidden part of France, really. Mm. People know northern France, mm-hmm. they know eastern France, Brittany and uh, the Vendée. Nobody knows about this little corner with Perpignan, mm-hmm. this little triangle of Pyrenees Orientales. People drive through that to go to Spain. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever stops there. Mm-hmm. And they don't realise there's a lot of beauty on that. Uh, the mm-hmm. Côte de Mai, down from Canaplage, down to Banyuls. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. People should stop there more often. Mm-hmm. And we're also with your wife here, Denise. Now, Denise, how's the transition been for you down to the south of France from Wigan? Well, a huge, a huge difference, yeah. uh, but the people are as friendly. Really? Uh, the people, uh, what make it, yeah. they've been so friendly, they've welcomed us. It's like being home from home. And Steve, are there any lessons that Catalan can learn from Toulouse or Toulouse can learn from Catalan Dragons uh, in terms of rugby league and promoting the game in this part of the world? They're both very, very young, very positive clubs. Uh, And I think, yes, of course, they learn from each other. They're very friendly towards each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, the idea is that they're going to be rivals in Super League. Mm. That would be the best thing for French Rugby League, Mm. the best thing for both clubs Mm -hmm. to feed on that and maybe look at some more interest from French TV companies, Mm -hmm. bring a little revenue into the Super League situation. But, of course, it's going to be a difficult hurdle for Toulouse to make it to Super League this year Mm -hmm. unless they change the rules and bring 14 teams in or 16 or 20 teams. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Well, you never know. But I think that the clubs are very close. I know for a fact that the, the media managers work very close together. Yeah. Uh, the officials are very friendly. But there isn't an air of rivalry yet until they get into Super League. Yeah. And they're assisting each other mm-hmm. uh, to promote and, and present uh, the game in the south of France as best they possibly can. Mm. Well, wonderful. It's great to see you. Great to meet you. And uh, Steve, Denise, thanks for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Bon match. <laughs> 
tonight. It's game day. Toulouse Olympique and Sheffield Eagles coming onto the field. Big Al, how are you feeling about today's game? Uh, I, I'm just happy to be here. Uh, I know I'm going to be served up some delicious, wonderfully uh, excellent rugby league and uh, bring it on. And we just visited the merch shop. In between us, I think we've got two jerseys, a training singlet, two caps, uh, a retro jersey, a couple of beer mugs. Uh, yeah, they, they ended up giving us uh, merchandise just to get us out of the shop because I think we bought one of everything. Uh, and, you know, it's a wonderful club. I'm proud to wear them. Let's go to lose. All right, let's see what happens. Having only been exposed to the audio jungle video highlights, I didn't realise there was such a great atmosphere at these games, Big Al. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I think it adds, there's a brass band playing in the grandstand as play goes on. And you've got to hand it to the Sheffield supporters chanting all, all through the game, so it's pretty exciting stuff. So, 28-6 at the half. A really dominant display from Toulouse Olympique. Five tries to one, and the only Sheffield try coming against run of play. Thoughts, Big? I'm in love. <laughs> I am head over heels in love with this club, with this attitude, with this vibe, with this area. Give me more. Don't stop. I can't get enough. <laughs> That's a visa application coming your way. French government, Mr. Macron. Look out for this guy. All right, so let's see what happens in the second half. You're upside, Oh, rock solid second half from the boys in blue, winning 56-18. We want an encore. I want an encore, but it goes, it goes it's, it's, it's not not all about what happened on field, because what happened on field was amazing, but it's what happens out, like the, 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 the peripheral of it. It's the whole week. The band keeps playing, the, the people are still here, the, the food is still available, like the bars are still open, it's just, it's a community and everyone's on the same vibe. The brass band in the stand, Yeah. it's, it's, please. What a great day. Thank what you, Toulouse Olympique. 56-18 against Sheffield. Well, as you can probably tell, Big Al and I were having a good time at the Toulouse home game there, and it's fair to say our confidence was growing. Maybe there's something in the water. So we decided after the game to chat to a few of the players. Here's James Bell, and we started off by asking him what the transition's been like from his junior days at the Warriors. Yeah, it's, it was hard at first, bro, just because the language barrier and yeah. the style of footy... I was back home with the Warriors for like four or five years, so to come to a different system was a bit of a shock. Yeah. And then to learn it in French was yeah, even a bit harder, but slowly it took me a few a couple months at least to get used to everything, but I think back into the season we're coming right. So, yeah. yeah. And what did you think about today's game? 56 18, it's a pretty solid performance. You played very well yourself. Oh, cheers, thank you. Um, yeah, it was pretty solid, definitely got heaps of work on. I think the second half shows it, but. Mm. 
we'll worry about that on Monday, but for now we'll just, yeah, just enjoy, enjoy the moment. And here's Big Al speaking to second rower Tyler Heppy. Your experience that you've had since coming through the ranks in New Zealand and Australian rugby league, what's the, is there anything that sings out to you in terms of difference in uh, attitude, I, philosophy? I, I, I actually grew up playing uh, in the Auckland comp and I was playing with Point Chev. We had uh, Pontiola Pirates, we had Stacey Jones as our coach. Oh. When, when I finished high school, we won the comp that year and I, I, I went straight to Hull KR. So I didn't play under 20s and that, but I, I did play all my junior footy. And uh, probably the difference is just the size of players back home. Yeah. You know, when I got to England, like, I'm not saying I was the biggest, like I've never been the biggest, but just the sheer size of the boys back home mm. is probably one thing that stands out a lot. Yeah. You know, Big Island boys, I was only ever... <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm actually yeah. half Maori, but yeah. yeah, like Island Bears is a huge. Eh? You know, a lot of a lot of good players get overlooked back home because they're not big enough at the time yeah. to play twenties and stuff. It's not till they keep keep uh, battling to push through that they actually get a shot. So yeah. So when you when you play for a team the, with, with the philosophy that is basically throw the ball out, yep. and you got to deal with it when it goes wrong. Like how do, how does that how do you deal with that as a player? Well, you just get on to the next job, really, yeah. So, um, I've been in teams before where people mope, you know, get down about it, and then that's that's where they come unstuck, you know. Whereas if you just sort of get on with it and sort of just get up for defence, you know, sort of be as, be as excited as, as you are for defence as you are attacked, then that's the sort of teams that, that do well, I find. We're with uh, Mark Carella. Now, my French is not perfect, but I believe you got man of the match. Is that right, Mark? Yes, I did get man of the match. Congratulations, well played. Please say it in French for us. L'homme de match. Yeah, l'homme de match. Match, really? And we heard your post-game interview. Your French is outstanding. Oh, I don't know if it was perfect, but I just say it with confidence and hope for the best. <laughs> What's your, your length in France? How, how many years are we talking? Uh, this will be my seventh year. Okay. At what point did your French become, you know, rock solid? Probably not yet. No. <laughs> uh, no, I was... The boys helped me out with talking. Yeah. So I just... Just say it with confidence, like I said. I just hope, like, hope for the best. But probably two years ago was when oh, I really yeah. started to not need a beer in order oh, to yeah. talk. So, <laughs> so you fake it till you make it. Exactly. Yeah. Look, it was a, it was a fun game to watch. Uh, we noticed that whenever you get the ball at fullback, you're always keen to throw, chuck a 20 meter pass right or left. I mean, that that's, looks like fun to do. Yeah. Well, the the wingers actually the wingers actually tell me to do it. So. <laughs> just following instructions. Yeah. Exactly. Nah. But it's just it's a bit of smarts because. Yeah. Most of the teams this year we play against, they kick to the corners and they put a lot of pressure. So if we, the quicker we get it to the middle, it opens up the field and, and it opens the opens yeah. up for the boys. It makes it just a bit easier, really. No, I don't have to run into the line. Yeah. <laughs> We've been around footy players for a while. We've, we've spoken to countless numbers. We've never met anybody as relaxed and happy as you. What's the what's your secret? What's with that? Like what's your honestly, why you, I've never met a more I feel like, I feel like I'm your best friend. What's with <laughs> that? Can we hang out later on? Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, the, um, I don't know, just being over here is I have a very fantastic life and I went through very hard times earlier on and just sort of realised that life's life's too short. Yeah. Just have some fun. And over here too I get a lot of opportunity to focus on myself and yeah. just improve myself and all aspects and and I have a great like I said, I have a fantastic life. So I can't not smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, it's been great to meet you and great to chat to you. So congratulations on the win and all the best in the future. Thanks, boys. Have a good one. All right. It is the morning after the night before, and we are in London after a few wonderful days in the south of France. And I thought it was a good time to reflect on our few days with Toulouse Olympique and, and in Perpignan. And I think what I love about rugby league is really encapsulated 
in this great little club that is Toulouse Olympic. I mean, there are a great bunch of people who are fighting against the odds, really, and trying to build rugby league in a rugby union town. Uh, I love the fact that they prioritise, you know, throwing the ball around and entertaining people. I love the, the fact that they prioritise, you know, the people, and they try to bring people from different cultures together, and they work really hard at being inclusive. And I love the fact that they love to have a bit of fun as well along the way. So really good bunch of people and really loved our time in the inner sanctum there at Toulouse Olympique. And it was great to see them get a win as well. And also we spent a brief, all too brief, couple of days in Perpignan. But even in that couple of days, we were lucky enough to chat to a couple of people. And it was great to be able to get the, the feel the passion of the people of the Catalan region of France, the passion that they have for rugby league. You can really sense it when you talk to them, every single person talking about how they want to you know, make the game thrive in that region. So that was a real highlight. And I, I know at the start of this thing, I said to myself, I don't want to just learn about French rugby league. I want to feel French rugby league. And I think over the last few days, I think we've done that. What are your thoughts, Big Al? Yeah, I'd agree completely. We've seen throughout our progressive rugby league journey that uh, rugby league has scores or countless numbers of people that just love the game. They just love the game. And sometimes that is to the detriment of the game and other times uh, that is for the great benefit of the game. And I think that's exactly what we saw in this, the, the, the south of France on our rugby league journey. So the passion that all involved in French rugby league have for the game and for nothing else but love of the game you, yeah. you are not in it for money you're not in it for fame you're not in it for status mm-hmm. you, you simply can't be if you're involved in, in French rugby league you're just in it because you love the game the history of the game what it stands for and how and what the game can be yep. uh, and I, I've never felt not since you know I was swept up in the hype of the Balmain Tigers in the late 1980s <laughs> have I been swept away so completely by yeah. a club and an experience and yeah. that is what's, what we've seen ac- across the last couple of days with the guys at, at Toulouse Olympique what they stand for their plans for the future how they go about their business as you said before how they treat every, everybody and everything involved in the game and the club so it's not about it's not about money it's about entertainment mm. it's about uh, providing a community um, a, a somewhere for that allows for creativity as well as uh, the, the forging of bonds between cultures. It's just an amazing club run, run by amazing people, and I am all in on Toulouse. You are all in, and you have bookmarked their positions vacant page on their website, which may or may not exist, but you are looking out for it when it does. So, yes, we're very lucky to be in the inner sanctum of Toulouse Olympic. So, here we are in London now, and looking forward to seeing what London has to offer for the London Broncos versus St Helens game. So this is another one of the PRL's sweet baby. So it's quite a weekend and London Broncos, they're fighting to stay in Super League. They've been doing very well against all odds. So it's really exciting to be here and to see what it's like to see a game of Super League in the capital. Yeah, I, I'm really, uh, really, really looking forward to it. We have arrived about four hours early, so mm. we're currently... Uh, just hanging out in a local park uh, as we wait for the pub to open. Here we are on the eve of the London Broncos St. Helens match in London and we're at the Duke of Kent some kind of pub near the Trailfinders ground and like any good pub near a rugby league stadium it is heaving interestingly though I have not seen one London Broncos supporter 
there are probably a couple of hundred St Helens supporters and they're starting to chant. They've got beers in their bellies. They're, they're excited. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this pub is packed and it's packed exclusively with St Helens supporters, which is which is a great feeling. I mean, it shows they've got a, uh, St Helens have obviously have a, a loyal and passionate fan base that, that travel with the team, and they're certainly adding to some great pre-game atmosphere. And like us, they were lining up at the pub before it opened. <laughs> so we've got something in common with them. So uh, hopefully we can catch up with a few London Broncos fans over the next couple of hours as well. Big go. we're here at Trail Finders in the lead-up to the St Helens-London game. And look, at the pub beforehand, I was worried that St Helens fans were going to vastly outnumber London friends. But I'm pleasantly surprised to see a lot of London Broncos jerseys out here. It's a good little vibe. Yeah, I mean, what a difference a venue makes, right? Like, as you said, at the pub, I was convinced this was going to be St. Helens and, and nothing but, but there's plenty of Broncos jerseys here, a couple of NRL jerseys as well. We've already spotted a random South guy, a random Parramatta guy, a random St. George guy. Um, Am I the random Toulouse Olympic guy then? <laughs> well, I've got a Toulouse cap on as well, so right. you can't take all the credit. All right, we are at Trail Finders, and we have bumped into our great friend, Gav Willisey. You might know him as No Helmets Required. How are you doing, Gav? I'm doing very well. I'll be uh, a lot happier if in two hours' time the Broncos have won. <laughs> we want to talk about the vibe of Trail Finders. You know, we're here for the first time. It seems to be a pretty good atmosphere. There's plenty of Saints fans in. What's it like? What can we expect? It will depend on how the game starts because quite often this season the Broncos have got off to a really bad start and that's killed the atmosphere a bit. Right. If the Broncos do really well, the Saints fans will go quiet. Yeah. I'm hoping, judging by the fact that St Helens have put out half a reserve grade team, yeah. it could be a really close game. So I think we should get a fantastic atmosphere. Yeah. And what about the Broncos fans? Do they do they chant and sing like the other northern clubs, like St Helens in your league? They do, but there just aren't as many of them. So, yeah. Right. Uh, you mainly hear it from up, from up there. Oh yeah. For listeners, uh, try, Australian listeners, try to picture what this is like. I just described it as a bit like Northern Pride getting promoted to the NRL and playing out of Barlow Park. Uh, Or, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of other equivalents. Yeah, 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 Um, absolutely. But it's not uh, like our oval. It's it's way many grades below that, you know, facilities. (laughs) It's it's clearly a temporary measure. As as an aficionado of Leichhardt Oval, I'll offer a correction. I'd say in terms of volume of facilities and, and capacity, it's much lower, but the quality is much, much higher. I've been to two bars and the bathrooms, and I would say they're That's right. at least three decades uh, ahead of where actually, I Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, to be fair, because it's all been modernised in the last mm. couple of years, yeah, the quality is fine. <laughs> it's, just, it's the size, yeah. it's, uh, but it's not a problem for the crowds because uh, you know, big challenge for the Broncos. Mm. The crowds are, are still tiny. You take away the away fans, mm. and they're only just getting about a thousand home fans. Yeah, well, so, you know, it's, it's big enough for that. Well, that's the million-dollar question. How do you grow a London Broncos fan base here in London? Uh, well, after thirty odd years, I think the answer is you can't. Wow! Uh, and I'm a Broncos fan. I, I just think the biggest they ever got to, they got. I think they they've averaged about five thousand mm. when they were at Fulham a couple of times early on, and then when they were at Harlequins. If you think you've got to get three, four, five thousand to survive, you probably get four or five. Mm. Those fans seem to have have disappeared despite the fact that more people are playing uh, more people are watching on TV down mm. here uh, trying to get them to come to a game is extremely difficult is, is West London here here in Ealing is that easy for people in general to get to around London is it difficult What's or is it just... it's not great because there's no uh, tube station mm. uh, as you, you'll know that London is 
basically if there's a tube nearby everyone can get there mm. easily uh, if there isn't it's a slog it's in a good location regarding some of the main roads and mm-hmm. the fact that there's the, the, there's a lot of rugby most of the rugby league mm. in London is around this general oh, area right. okay. and a lot of the expats the Aussies and Kiwis live around within okay. a couple of miles three or four miles of here mm. but it doesn't mean they come mm. yeah. uh, they, they sometimes they might come to one game a year yeah, yeah not, right. there aren't fans mm. there isn't an Aussie Kiwi fan yeah. Now, Gav, you're obviously famous, most famous for riding no helmets required, among other achievements in your career. Now, what are you up to at the moment? Well, I'm still doing a no helmets required blog for The Guardian, which is mm-hmm. mainly British-based, but, you know, always has some stuff from overseas. I'm writing for 4020 mm-hmm. magazine and thinking about whether I should do another book, but also weighing that up against the future of my marriage. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say, please do another book, but I don't want to wish... I'm going to Toulouse, that's what I'm doing. Yes, we recommend it. We recommend it highly. I'm going to get as many tips off you as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I heard a little whisper when you did an interview with Professor Tony Collins. You mentioned that you were kind of weighing up the idea of maybe doing a documentary version of No Helmets Required. Is that on the cards, A? And B... Can we do some uh, voiceovers? I mean, I, I do. I do a mean Mike Dimitro. <laughs> we, we hey, w- any, what, you, what you doing? Any ra- random Australian side oh, yeah. characters we can fill in? Of I course. can be Dally M. Yeah, just watch a bit of The Sopranos to get your yeah. inspiration. I would love to do that documentary. There's possibilities it could happen, but we need to get on with it because these the, the players, the surviving yeah. players, are dropping one by one, yeah. and they're all about ninety now or in the late eighties. Yeah. So finding ones that are alive and still with it is becoming increasingly hard. But I did have letters from a few, of, two or three of them over this summer right. saying, yeah, I'm alive and well. Right, you know, oh, that's good. If you come to LA, come and see me. So uh, there's still potential to do it. It's, a, it's a, a huge undertaking, but we are available. So yeah, just give us a yell and uh, we'll work on our Dimitro and our Dallium. I'll keep you in the loop, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, Gav. Great to see you. Great to meet you, and uh, all the best. Enjoy the game, boys. Thanks. Okay, so it's a decent Here we are in the bar area at Trailfinders after a London victory over St Helens, 32 to 12. It was a, a pretty good game in a good atmosphere. It's great to have the away support from St Helens and the London Broncos fans getting into it. What did you think of your first London Broncos game experience, Big Al? I would say outside of the physical awkwardness of the stadium itself, the atmosphere was amazing, and a lot of that probably goes down to the St Helens fans. They they, they were great. They added to it significantly. Yeah. I really like the style of play. Uh, you know the the attitude of everybody. Everyone's there for a good time. A fair bit of banter in the crowds, but I'm going to call it light-hearted banter, and I'm uh, really enjoying it. And here we are, where it's an hour after after full time. All the bars are still open. There's a lot of people still here, just hanging out and enjoying themselves after a great game of footy. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because we stood in the first half with London Broncos fans and in the second half with St. Helens fans. And in the first half, it was very much... Uh, I was using my whispering voice. It was, what are these ones? 
because it's pretty quiet. But then we went to the St. Helens side. It was very loud. I could speak in my normal baritone. It was. Uh, we could hear everything that happened on the field when we were at the in the the, the Broncos end of the ground. It was everything from exclamations within the tackle to, to players telling players to move to certain areas. It was. It was. I mean, it was. It was. I felt like I shouldn't have been there. Actually, I was hearing intimate things that I shouldn't have heard. Yeah. Look, it was a great experience, and it was great to see London get up. Obviously, it was an understrength in hell's team. Ah, but no one ah, ah, a win's a win. A win's a win, and it caps off a great weekend. So, thank you, London. Well done. Well, what a week it's been, and we are back on the road, and we are stopping in to Headingley. Now, Headingley is a famous ground, obviously, in Leeds, and uh, look, I don't know anyone in Leeds that I can think of that we can catch up with, but we'll see what happens when we get there. What are you What are you thinking at the moment, Big Al? Pretty excited. I, I have no experience of the north of England, of Leeds, uh, especially not of Headingley, other than the uh, short grabs I can see in highlights footage on YouTube, so who knows what today's going to bring, but uh, I can't wait to see what happens. Well, let's check it out and see who we bump into on the way. Okay, so we've arrived here at Headingley, just wandering around, and who have we bumped into? But a fixture of the Progressive Rugby League podcast, a man known simply as Ian is from Leeds, or Ian from East Leeds. Hello, Ian, good to see you. How are you, lads, all right? <laughs> very well, very well. Now, Headingley, what a fantastic stadium this is. Now, tell us about what it's like to, to attend a match here when the, the house is pumping. Oh, it's absolutely cracking, yeah. It's... Uh... It's one of the uh, the great sporting venues on this island, I think, to be honest. You know, and, and there'll be other people who talk about it in terms of uh, football grounds and that sort of thing. But I think uh, one of the great things about both codes of rugby here, uh, but specifically in terms of rugby league in this context, is the fact that we've got so much standing still. Uh, and so you're not just talking about the noise in terms of the way in which the uh, the crowd have got certain songs that they're going to sing beforehand or as part of the game or which are linked to specific players, uh, but also in terms of the way that they're reacting to what's going on and sometimes it's about particularly with Leeds at the minute actually trying to get the team back up um, so yeah it's, it's a brilliant place to be but also because of all that standing uh, then you've got quite a lot of movement within the crowd itself and uh, you know crowds are not as big as they have been historically but there, there have been times like early mid 2000s when we've had big games against Bradford mm. when we had the World Club Challenge here against Manly for example where it was absolutely rammed um, and uh, so the only way really you got any movement in your legs was because about three or four people down they started swaying and you had to sway with them and yeah yeah it was a, it's a, it was a great place to be at that time and hopefully we're going to get back there at some point but nevertheless I'd, uh, I'd recommend anybody to get to Edinburgh to see a rugby league game any time. Now so you've been coming here for many many years now and seeing this ground evolved are there a couple of memories that stand out any cracking games that are just legendary in the in the Leeds context? Oh yeah, I mean we've we've been very lucky. I mean I, I first got a season ticket in '99, and uh, that year we actually won the Challenge Cup for the first time in a long time. Mm. Um, and historically, we'd been underachievers really, given the the potential of the club and the city. Uh, and then there was a period in the early 2000s where Bradford, our big rivals, were on top, and we had some games against them, and we were trying to get to that point. And then finally in 2004, we won the grand final. And then there was a long period right through to the the treble in the the final season of. Uh, Cine and Luluai and mm. JP where um, yeah we actually won the treble 2015 so you know I've been lucky enough that I've had some amazing times during that time I'd say that uh 
probably for me as somebody who likes to see rugby league as a, as a global game mm. that uh, one of my favourite moments was actually a special friendly that was organised to say goodbye to that trio when New Zealand played here right. and it was absolutely round and uh, the New Zealand team did a hacker in front of the south stand which is absolutely loving it and it was quite an emotional time particularly for Kylo Luluai who's mm. not, not just a great player mm. not just the sort of person that people want in their team because of the effort he makes and the fact he's quite humble in the way mm. he goes about it but off the pitch just a, a really cracking cracking fella just mm. really really kind and interested in the fans and so that was a really emotional moment that um, I think the other time was that uh, probably the, the, the biggest crowds we've had um, have been for those sort of Bradford games when both of us were trying to beat the Super League attendance record but the only other time when it's been just as rammed was when we actually hosted the World Club Challenge here yeah. so quite a lot of the World Club Challenge we've played in we've played at Ellen Road which is yeah. the, uh, the association football ground in the south of the city and that's got a bigger capacity of 35,000 um, but we actually played Manly here for one of those games and of course Manly you know maybe had about 100 fans in the ground but not very much yeah. otherwise everybody was a liner and it was absolutely rammed and it was swaying and it was loud and we actually went on and beat this team and you know yeah. and for us to be honest to take on an NRL side is always just absolutely brilliant experience mm. but to beat one well you know that's, that's generally beyond what we think is possible so, so that night rammed ground our home this place that means so much to all of us and then to actually beat such a brilliant side who we respect so much it was amazing mm. Now this is our first time in Leeds and it's a, a beautiful city from what we can see and I think you mentioned to us it's the second greenest city in Europe so that's a, another plus for it. Can you tell us about the position of rugby league in a city like Leeds? Uh, what does rugby league mean to this town and I suppose more broadly to this part of England? Leeds is quite unusual in a European context in that it is a big city. It would be considered to be one of the major cities of the UK where rugby league genuinely has strong roots and an appeal for the local population. Mm. Um, the, the, the club uh, became a rugby league club in 1895, but there had been two clubs before that playing the, the former rugby game. Mm. Um, the, there is, of course, an association football club here who has been very successful, but they weren't actually formed until the uh, early 20th century. So the roots of rugby league are very, very strong in Leeds. You've got lots and lots of amateur sides at junior level right through to open age. There are lots and lots of clubs like East Leeds, Stanley, Milford, uh, Alton Raiders who are producing lots of the great players you see out there. Mm. East Leeds is my local club, for example, and that's where Danny Maguire came from. Mm. Uh, Ryan Hall, who's doing great stuff at the moment with Roosters in the NRL. He's from Alton Raiders. Uh, Stanley have produced people like uh, Jamie Peacock, Ashton Goulding, Jamie James Buchanan, uh, even Mickey McAlorum, who uh, you know, is, I think, a great example of somebody who's great up in the roots of the game but then travelled the world almost trying to experience it I'm, you know, I'm quite jealous of what he's done with his life actually you know, if I, if I was any good at rugby I'd want to be Mickey McAlorum I reckon <laughs> but yeah I mean um, it, it is a, a big city where you know, uh, the club is competing with a lot of leisure attractions I mean I'm, I'm you know, into going to gigs quite a lot and Leeds is a great city for that you know, there's lots of other types of culture going on so you're competing with it um, so I mean I, I do feel as though you know, uh, Leeds as a rugby league club has uh, a debt to the communities which have always sustained it mm. and, and I do think that particularly in the context of all of those different things that are competing uh, for people's leisure time and leisure money uh, the important thing for us as a club is always to maintain the fact that we've got a certain number of tickets even if it's not all of them mm. which are cheap enough for anybody to be able to actually get hold of uh, because actually you know this club is great and this club has been built on the backs of so many people over such a long period of time and I'd hate us to get to a position where it becomes 
became unaffordable for mm. people to actually come and see this club because fundamentally, you know, this club is great because of the community. Mm. Sort of leads to my next question. I suppose I'm interested to know the position of rugby league in the north of England. How does it fit culturally these days and comparison to how it used to fit? And what, how do you see its trajectory uh, over the coming decades? I think um, th- there's a lot of people who would see rugby league as a northern game. Mm. Um, and it's certainly true that in parts of the north, which more specifically are the industrial uh, parts of West Yorkshire, East Yorkshire, South Lancashire and West Cumbria, to mm. be very specific about it, um, the game has very, very strong roots and it's part of our identity, it's part of the way that we see ourselves in a way that people who have that sense of their culture may well in Ireland play Gaelic football mm. or hurling, mm-hmm. the way that people in uh, northern Catalonia will play rugby, whether it's league or union. Mm-hmm. You know, the way in Canada may well people may well see ice hockey, for example. Mm. It's, it's part of our identity and so there are certainly quite a lot of people who are in this part of the world who may well not even be sporting fans, maybe not even be rugby fans, who if they're asked the question would say, yeah, I'm league, because league is what we do in the north. Um, So there's an element of that which is still ongoing. And certainly it's the case that for a lot of football fans, um, they see the the terraces, they see the noise, they see the ticket prices. Mm. That culture surrounding rugby league is something which they've lost, actually, from their experiences, maybe if they were football fans in the the 70s and 80s. Um, And so, you know, if they are elsewhere and they're asked about rugby, even if they're not particularly into it, they would say, we're league, because Mm. actually... In terms of that culture, in terms of that uh, uh, relationship with the supporters, the way in which the game is dependent on whether or not the fans buy tickets, buy shirts, rather than lots of corporate income, you know, that's closer to the model that you know that they'd want to see. Mm. Um, so there is that element of it, um, but at the same time, uh, I think um, it's also the case that sometimes when we think about uh, rugby league in the north and we think about development and we think about sustainability. We have to acknowledge that uh, the economy of places like Cass and Fev and Batley, mm. Wakey, various other places which have sustained the game for a long time, uh, has been struggling in the context of what's going on politically within Britain and Europe as a whole. You know, I think we, we need to take that into account when we're thinking about um, expansion. I'm very much in favour of expansion. Mm. I, I want people like Mickey McAlorum to have the chance to play in Toulouse and Perpignan mm. and Toronto and Ottawa and wherever else it might be. You know, I want our game to give up opportunities to kids who've grown up mm-hmm. in places where rugby league is right at the heart of, of what we do to be able to travel the world and to be able to make something of their lives and I think it's something that's an asset it's something that we can offer the world really and, and we're, we're proud of that uh, but at the same time I think in terms of the way that um, the, the game expands professionally uh, we do need to make sure that um, there is a way in which there is some level of sustainability for the Featherstones, for the Batleys and others because fundamentally at the moment if there is a club in New York or there's not a club in New York there are not that many people who are going to mourn it Mm. being there or not being there whereas if Cass or Fev were to lose its club or to lose its game as a whole well actually you know that would be a massive impact on the the pride and the culture of of the town and the district Mm. now uh, thanks very much for your time I've got one more question that I know many listeners will have on their minds as you are a fixture of our show every week and the question goes thusly are you Ian East from Leeds or are you Ian from East Leeds? Uh, my name's Ian Martin and I live in East Leeds. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow, this is such a mystery solved. And we can we can finish the podcast now. I mean all we have to do is ask her. <laughs> we were wondering for years and years. Yeah, just use the phone. Right. Well Ian, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for showing us around Headingley and, and thanks for all your support over the years.
No, oh, it's, it's brilliant to meet with you, lads. I, uh, I've, I've been impressed for so long with what you've been doing, and uh, I try and recommend it as a, as a listen to everybody I can. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant, and uh, just keep going, because all the efforts you've made, it's, it's definitely worth it. Well, what a wonderful way to finish. A progressive rugby league mystery solved, and a great chat with a man who will forever be known as Ian East from Leeds. Correction, Ian from East Leeds. Well, that was our trip. We learn a lot, and we hope you enjoyed it. Catch you next time.